Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops. And throughout the series, we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series, we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup was recently held in Sydney, where the Opals took bronze and Asia's best players put on a show. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. It's a tough question to answer because there's there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, and a lot of things I think we've learned over the last couple of years when we are trying to build something, you know, that resembles what I think where the Flames want to get to. You know, you want to be a championship contender every year and, you know, that's the goal of our ownership group is to, to become, you know, a winning team that Sydney deserves. In this pod, we welcome back Chris Pongrass, CEO of the Sydney Flames and Sydney Kings, for a really interesting behind-the-scenes look into Clubland, where we got to talk about some very recent Flames announcements that we were keen to hear about since our previous pod on the WNBL Free Agency. At the time we recorded the pod, Chris shared some highly anticipated news that's only just been announced, and as some Shooting the Breeze audience members have requested... We're also getting into details about roster building and club land, as well as some NBL stories to boot. We're really grateful to Chris for having such an open discussion on the business of a club and building a team. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin. Tonight we've got Chris Pongrass, CEO of the Sydney Kings and the Sydney Flames, joining us. Chris, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. It's always great to be talking to both of you, except this time not in a busy arena. It's actually it's actually <laughs> nice we can we can hear each other. Yeah, it was a bit loud the last time. A little bit. Still a great show. No, yeah, thank we- you for having me on, both of you. Okay, so we're gonna be doing a slightly different take on the show this time we're not actually going to be talking about stuff to do with with you and your career in basketball but it's more going to be around all the challenges of recruiting a team particularly given we're rolling into the WNBL season there's been a lot of moves and changes with the flames during the off season so i suppose we'll start with the the big broad question how does a team like the flames go about building a roster for an upcoming season it's a tough question to answer because there's there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, and a lot of things I think we've learned over the last couple of years when we are trying to build something, you know, that resembles what I think where the Flames want to get to. You know, you want to be a championship contender every year and, you know, that's the goal of our ownership group is to, to become, you know, a winning team that Sydney deserves. So I think the first thing that's easy to talk through is the strategy is is obviously the biggest part is something that you know we really focused on this year is looking longer term 
I think teams fall into the trap and we've actually, we've definitely fallen victim in recent years to be in this one year cycle of kind of just new roster, new roster, new roster. And, you know, I know we'll probably get into that later talking about one year contracts, but I think for us this year it was, okay, what's a three year plan look like? Who are players that want to be here long term? Who do we want in the club long term? And how do we build something that's hopefully contending for the next three to five years? You know, it's, it resembles a, a level of continuity. And for us, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things for me that I've talked about with you previously is continuity in, in any roster build is really important. And we haven't had that. And I think looking at this year's roster, you know, while we're lucky enough to have a number of returning players, um, you know, Emma Clark and Kira Rowe, um, and Vanessa Panousis, um, there's a lot of new faces on the team. And Tiana was obviously a big part of our plans. And, you know, I'm really excited that she's going to be remaining around the team. But for us, it was it was something, you know, looking to build something that has continuity year on year, so multi-contracts. So that's one part of it is working through what the strategy looks like and getting buy-in from everyone in the business, ownership, coaching staff, everyone the financial modelling is really important, obviously. There are constraints in Australian sport, but particularly in the WNBL when you're building a roster. It's The realities of it are is, you know, it's, it's a small salary cap and, you know, you have to – not only do we want to be under the salary cap, but it's the cash component that goes alongside that too. So it's not just being under the cap, but it's being – fiscally responsible so for us it's modeling out what a team could look like if we want to contend and different you know i guess different thresholds of the types of plays you can get to fit into that and then again getting sign off from ownership and buying from ownership because you know they're ultimately the ones that are financing this thing and i think that's really important and then finally honestly it's when you're building a roster it's delivering there's always you're wanting to sign you know, the best players in the world and the best Australian players and local and New Zealand up-and-coming college players, but it's actually delivering them. You have to out-recruit other teams. You have to match what their, you know, what the expectations are of the player and their fit and their goals long-term. So that's the hardest part. You know, once you, you build what you want to build, you've actually got to deliver and get those players locked and loaded and signed because there are a lot of other great teams and great general managers and great head coaches in this league that are just as good, if not better, at, at finding talent and securing that talent. So, yeah, that's I hope I've answered that in less broad sense, but there's a lot of factors that go into building it, to be honest. It's a good broad overview of all the all the different factors that go into it. When you are scouting and recruiting, as you said, like. What considerations go into it? I mean, you know, you were starting with, as you said, you know, uh, quite a number of, of slots open. What do you look for? I mean, I think it's a combination of things. Obviously, skill, you know, when you're looking at the individual player, it's skill, it's basketball IQ. I think characters are really important element to it all. I, I know really important for us in terms of, you know, when I'm looking at, uh, I think, honestly, character but is probably 50% of, you know, what you're looking for in a player. The other 50% is skill and chemistry and fit and whatever. But I think positional fit's obviously an important one too in terms of how you, when you're looking at your roster, A, the pieces you already have signed and B, the other pieces that you're having t- multiple conversations at once. You've kind of got different scenarios that if this domino falls first, then 
this other player you can put a line through because that doesn't probably work with the type of player that you've already recruited. So I think fit and chemistry is, is probably the biggest consideration when you're scouting and recruiting is just how they kind of work with all the other pieces you have you know, already in place and how those pieces fit with the play you want to bring in. I'm interested to know a bit more about the process of scouting and recruiting in terms of how soon does it start? Like how soon does uh, your scouting start and how many personnel do you have access to to help you with scouting? Because, uh, you know, probably a little bit easier to scout at a local level with NBL1 but you've got the whole rest of the basketball world between EuroLeague, the leagues in America, all the little leagues in between. It sounds like it's quite a job. It, it is. I will go out on the limb and just say nothing begins before free agency opens. Everyone will say that, of course. Uh, <laughs> no, but in reality, you're, you know, the good thing is is you can use the prior season uh, knowing which players will probably become available. So you're, when you're watching your home and away games, you know, I like to keep a note and keep log of players that are intriguing, players we think might be a good fit down the line. And that, you know, I think that helps when you're just looking at allocating time and resources to starting from scratch. I think if you get to the end of a season and coming into free agency, if you've done a lot of the local work, because that's the first thing. I mean, the good thing is is the import side can wait. You can kind of park that to the side and know that I can manage that in a month's time unless it's a returning import or someone that's that's been in the league. But it's difficult. It's difficult in the NBL. It's the exact same as the WNBL because you, in realities of any team's front office, it's the general manager, it's the head coach, and it's, you know, an assistant that's that's probably helping you work through that process. So there's a three or four person team probably in every team, both NBL and WNBL that's giving input. So you're never going to be able to watch every single player playing in all parts of the world. You also rely on relationships with agents because they come and they say, Hey, here's my 15 players who are available. And you can kind of, you know, you have a hundred, 200 players on a, on different lists and you just can cross them off based on positional fit and what you're looking for salary expectations, all of those things, and then you probably narrow the pool down to 10 or 15 that you really go hard at, narrow that down further and kind of have those conversations all in tandem. So it's a, it's hard to explain because I think it changes every year and there's honestly there's no exact science to any of it. It is um, – there's a lot of luck to different – you know, in, in terms of getting different players or finding different players, you kind of stumble into some things, but then there's a lot of – process involved in you know just doing the the work of a recruiting them but watching film and and understanding who they are as a player and how they fit i think is really important so you can never have too many people doing it but honestly no team will have enough which is it's really challenging honestly it's you know coming in and spending time in the nba and you see these front offices that have you know 10, 15 scouts that everyone, you've got that many people that are watching these college players and then you come here and it's, there's, you know, you're short-staffed and it's what I also love about it as well. I'm not trying to complain because at the end of the day, we get to find the players that and put this roster together with very few people and it's, it's fun on that end. So it sounds like recruiting has parameters around it because of the free agency period and, and things like that. Yep. But it sounds like scouting doesn't start and stop. It just is a continuum. 
It is. There is a little bit of a break. Once you get your roster finalised, maybe you got you got a couple of months break before the season starts. <laughs> but in saying that, you also want to keep a list handy because injuries and whatnot that come and go throughout the year, you never know when you're going to have to fly someone in on a, on a whim. Especially like just really quickly, especially you mentioned injuries. Uh, very often the NBL in particular will announce Injury replacements, I think one that comes to mind was like Majuk Majuk signed as an injury replacement for the Jack Jumpers. Does the WNBL have similar contract options to that depth that the NBL has? I think they can. I think teams have the ability to do that. I think it was a loophole, you know, we, we profited from it with the Kings a couple of years ago when we signed Wani Swaka as an injury replacement player when DJ was injured to start the year. Wani actually started you know, 26 games for us that year because we had a number of injuries throughout. I don't think teams are hampered by being able to do that, but it also comes down to the financial parameters to it as well because it's another, essentially another rostered player, another training player that you probably have to pay to, to or, or house or something along those lines. So for most teams, it's more of, I think, probably a financial barrier to signing someone of that nature because you're essentially getting an 11th contracted player. And I think teams are probably more willing to do that. And we're one of them this year that we're trying to really load up on our DPs and amateur players as well. You know, I'd love to have a roster of 14 or 15 available bodies, you know, 10 contracted, three or four DPs and, and some amateur or training bodies that you know have the ability because 10 rostered players want two injuries and you've already got a roster of eight I mean that's it, it's really challenging when you legitimately only have you know one backup at each position so I think that's really important something that you know I don't know how teams get around it without just focusing on their DPs and, and probably the talent they have that's in their training squad. Well, look, we'll always tag you in any uh, hot prospects on Twitter. Please do. Please do. <laughs> I think it was uh, Tim Suarez's sister was drafted oh. in the WNBA, even though she's injured, so she's not playing this season, but she was still drafted. I was like, listen, get her to the flames. You're Girl, trying. We're trying. <laughs> well, it's, it's tough because Tim left for greener pastures in Japan as well. So I got, we, no, I've got a lot of love for the Suarez family. So I would love to see her down here in, when she's fit and healthy. So you touched on, on budget. Now, one of the things I'm curious about, as you mentioned, there's, there's a cap and it's a soft cap. It is a soft cap, yep. And there's also, I believe there's a luxury tax that goes on top of that. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening who, A, have just heard the soft cap and luxury tax, and they're going, sorry, what? <laughs> Can you give us a bit of a rundown on what that is? But also, what are the implications when you are putting a roster together of those two things? No, it's, it's a good question. So for the people that are listening, a salary cap um, is just a mechanism that the league enforces to allow parity between all the teams, essentially. There's a limit to what you can pay your playing salary for your entire playing group. And if you surpass that, when we say a soft cap, a team could pay whatever they want to pay. But the second you surpass what soft cap is from your total team spend, then you're paying a luxury tax or a subsidy to a pool that is essentially based on how much, a percentage increase based on how much you spend. So the more you spend, 
you know, the steeper the the luxury tax by percentage goes up. So it becomes, you know, dollar for dollar, dollar fifty per dollar you spend over. So, you know, when you're looking at it for a team, again in the WNBO, if you spend fifty or hundred thousand dollars over and then you're paying an extra hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in luxury tax, there are serious implications in teams being able to do that. And so, you know, I think you saw um, without wanting to speak out turn, I, I'm, I'm sure that every single team was under the cap last year. So I think teams are being smart about how they spend and where they spend it and when they spend it, but teams aren't hampered by going over if, if a team wants to. Um, it's just really quite financially crippling if you go heavy into the luxury tax. Because that will have implications for the next season's roster, right? For sure, especially if they're multi-contracts or, again, just you know, depending on how the team goes. Um, generally, you see contracts increase year to year if they're multi-year contracts. The cap has typically not taken drastic increases year to year. So if you sign multiple players on multiple year contracts and you're already in the luxury tax, you're probably going to see that increase the following year as well. It's hard to walk that back. And I suppose that makes the whole concept of budgeting for your year for your season that much more challenging because as you said i mean you're trying to bring in the best possible talent you can to give you the best possible opportunity to to get into the finals and go for the championship yet you've got to balance that off against there's that as you've said there's that crossover point where it starts to become you know prohibitively expensive not only for this year but also going forward as you said with multi-year contracts so you know when you're doing those those forecasts have you ever found yourself in a position where you're kind of like going, I'd really love to get this player, but we can't afford it? All the time. <laughs> All the time. You look around the league and you want to star started starting five and backups and, you know, you this, the realities of it are it's just not possible. And, you know, there are challenges because you, you know, you I like to try to, loosely value players that as bad as that sounds is try to put a what i think that they would command in free agency for example so when you enter into negotiations you kind of have an idea of maybe what they're looking for where you see them and this is how much i'm able to pay or willing to pay so when you're trying to model out what your roster is going to cost there are also ups and downs in that where you really want to play and you might have to overspend Right, you might have to go over what you'd be willing to naturally pay or budget because you want them or they're the best fit or they're the best option or they're the only option and you really need that to, to make your roster work. So you kind of have these ups and downs where you you look at it from the start and versus where you're at the end of the year and go, okay, well, I was widely off on these ones but I was under on these and kind of all pieced together. It kind of just, as each domino falls or each player signing happens, it kind of makes it easier along. But once you're, especially this year for us, you know, we had Emma Clark signed, um, we had Tiana signed coming into the off-season, um, a number of players that returned, like Kira and like Vanessa, that were, were out of contract and going to free agency. And that was challenging. You're staring down the barrel of a lot of players exiting the club and trying to re-sign them. So it was hard to kind of forecast, okay, we've got eight players to go sign and how do we value them and a lot of them high-end players that we're lucky enough to successfully go after, like Kayla, like Tess, like Lauren, like Shanice. You know, I'm really happy with where we landed. Yeah, I mean, looking at that roster, it's 
it, there's a lot of firepower there for the upcoming season. Pun intended. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Townsville will like that. Yeah, sorry, so will. I'm sorry, Sam. <laughs> but my, I suppose you've touched on something, the multi-year contracts. And, and when we were talking with you and Victoria from QDOTS Bank Arena Live, you said you were finding it really difficult to get people to agree to multi-year contracts. And it seems like you've managed to, to turn that corner. How did you do that? Yeah, it's a really good question because that's something I've really been challenged with. And I think this year was a focus to um, really push players that maybe wanted a shorter-term contract that we wanted to bring them in and to continue to build something. So maybe it's having to pay them more than what you had initially thought um, is one way. But I think for us, what really helped is the players that we went after, again, on multi-contracts. So you're looking at Kayla on a three-year contract, Tess and... Shanice and Lauren, like all on multi-year contracts, they all bought into the idea of A, playing alongside one another. Like they loved the idea of as each domino fell, they were more incentivized to want to come and play with, you know, Opals and build something that players want to win. They want to be part of a winning program. They want to be part of a reset, I think, as well. When you look at it, you know, for us this year, it's something that I was really challenged by and something that we really focused on on this year and this roster build is just making sure we build the level of continuity year on year and the players bought into it. So I think this year we went about it the right way in terms of how we pitched to the players. You know, we we didn't pitch to them short-term success. We pitched to them, be part of something that's long-term, it's sustainable. You can build something with the organisation that's on a reset, be part of something that's really fun and exciting and also for them to be able to have some stability you know i think being on two and three contracts to know where you're playing in 12 months time and 24 months time is something that we really focused on with players that have also been at clubs for an extended period so it's not like they had bounced around the league you know you'd seen kayla at the boomers for a number of years and tests for a number of years and alone and you know even shanice it's, it's something that we really wanted to make sure we brought in the right players that fit that bill but that we're going to be here in 12 months' time. And and I look at, you know, our roster build next year and with, you know, six players contracted, it's like things are going to be much easier. Um, it's going to be a much easier off-season <laughs> and it's going to make the year that much easier as well. Just when we're looking at scouting in the season is, okay, what are the complementary pieces that we want to bring in that, that we see a, a needs for the team, whether it's defensively, whether it's shot-making, whether it's, passing you know how can we plug those holes and that's the fun part of this job is it's honestly it's a puzzle and you just find your way and piece it together player by player so i'm, I'm excited in 12 months time that we will have a lot of players already signed coming to free agency and my april and may are going to be much more relaxing i hope i hope <laughs> i say that now it won't be you already touched on a little bit about some of the parts that you can use to incentivize people to sign multi-year contracts to Hoops Capital, like the stability and like playing with Opals. Are you able to share a little more about what else goes into uh, incentivizing those multi-year contracts? For example, Tess, when we interviewed her earlier in the year, she said that Hoops Capital and the Flames was right for her based on where she was in her career at the moment and where she wanted to take it. And she 
felt like what Boops Capital could provide was the perfect place for her to be. Have you got any more insight in like the day-to-day -day stuff that Hoops Capital provide that are able to support those players to get to the next step in their career? No, it's a really good question. I think for us in Hoops Capital, having both a men's and women's program that we honestly try to buy the same levels of discipline and resource allocation to both. I mean, it's challenging, yes. But, you know, we've we've actually tried to uh, – I take our medical team, for example, and, you know, we have a head of performance that's across both programs. Our head physio, Dave Hillard, is across both programs. While we have then physios that, you know, one, Michael Phipps, is, is for the Flames, and we've got Alice Brown that's for the Kings, and Dave kind of jumps between both. But we have a resource allocation that is – we look to try to pair evenly, and I think for us – we used catapult and load tracking for the women last year, and I think we're the only team in the league that did that. And so our sports science team and interns that come in that help manage the players' kind of medical and load throughout the year, we're looking after our players. We've got a brand-new playing at the Key Centre, but also our facility at PCYC and our team room. We're looking to build something that's one of the best in the WNBL, and I think we were there. We got a lot of things right last year. We got a couple of things wrong, and that's what we're looking to fix this year. I think we've we've made those tweaks this off season. But you know, for us, I think a lot of them, you know, saw the hoops capital as okay. It's, there's equity in both men's and women's, and a desire, particularly from ownership. You know, from Paul Smith and Robin Denholm and Victoria Denholm, and the, everyone involved in. The flames. I think it's important to note that there's a there's a drive for them to see the flames succeed. So I think a lot of these players saw that desire. Say, okay, this program's wanting to deliver on these fronts. I know that I'm going to be looked after here. You know, we're building facility. We've got you know investment from government to build our own high performance center in two years' time. So they're going to have their own home, purpose built gym that's shared between men's and women's. So I think that they saw that as a desire and. Hess's brother being a Kings legend too. I mean, there's some family history there and I think it's it, they just saw the rebrand, the new facility, the growth and where we want to be in two, three years' time is them getting in at the ground level and being part of that journey but also the face of the franchise to be able to get us to that point. So, yeah, it's it's exciting to hear though those players like someone of Tess's character and pedigree to be talking about her excitement and wanting to join the club. I mean, that, that gives me some hope that we're doing a lot of these things right, right, or at least trying to do them right. And you'll have a mum and a bub joining the roster as well with Kayla and Pearl arriving to play. Right. So I imagine that there would have been something, you know, provided to accommodate Kayla's dual roles with being a mum off court and obviously a wife too and being a, an absolute rip-snorter baller, as she would probably put it, on court. She's a, uh, she's unbelievable. Honestly, I think Pearl's more of a cult hero than than Kayla is. I feel like Pearl's going to be signing more autographs this year than maybe Kayla will be. You hear people from the crowd asking if they can see Pearl after the game. But, Kayla, you know, you look at Kayla and she was the MVP of last season and she's playing over in Las Vegas and she was an unbelievable mother and, you know, that she is in, you see Pearl alongside her the whole way and what a life experience for that beautiful family. So 
for her to again want to come to Sydney, to want to come here for three years, bring her family, was really important. And that's part of the discussion because, you know, when you're looking to try and accommodate a mum, it's like we want to make sure she's comfortable. That's the first point of call. And, you know, with the group and the players we had around, like Tess, you know, she's got some comfort with the players that she's going to be playing with, but hopefully we're going to be able to put in and we know we'll be able to put in a support system for her that's going to really help her throughout the season in managing the balance between being a mother and a pro basketball player, but also an Opal and, you know, and WNBA player. She's got that much on her plate. It's quite remarkable. I was lucky enough to talk to her just a few weeks ago in Vegas, and she's really excited about the whole prospect of coming to Sydney. When you do sign players like Tess, like Kayla, there's like an expectation that starts to build around the team. And that obviously starts to put pressure onto the front office. How do you guys handle that sort of increased pressure that comes with bringing in a roster like you have? It's a great question. I haven't really thought about that because I feel, you know, in this role, both of men's, honestly, I feel that there's pressure everywhere I turn. And I put that pressure, honestly, on myself too. It's like I, I want to be part of something great and I want to help build something great. And I think we're going about that. But but honestly, what probably excites me the most is that pressure that Tess and Kayla and signing people of their that plays their pedigree, um, and Lauren too, and, and Shanice, it's like they push you to be better. Like we know, okay, here are the areas we need to improve and we want them to help us improve them. They're telling us, okay, this is what we need to do. And, and involving them, I know their involvement and talking through some of the players that we signed after them, getting their input, getting their feedback, I think is really important when we're looking at some of our imports. You know, one of whom has been playing in the New Zealand League is played against Tess. And so for us, it's like, okay, getting her feedback in how she was when she played against her and what she thought of how she'd fit in our group. So I think having players like that just push you to be better and you, you rely on them as leaders, but you also rely on them to give input. When I talk about being, you know, under-resourced that most teams are, it's like, why wouldn't you rely on players who honestly have a great read on the other players in the league and what they need to help succeed both them and what are complementary pieces for them as players. So I think those players, you know, Kayla and Tess and Lauren, like they push us to be better. They push me to be better and push the organisation to be better to win, but also just to be better off the court, look after our players and, you know, make sure we're having an enjoyable, fun program that people want to be part of. Okay, you've mentioned the magic word imports. Sydney hasn't mentioned anything about imports so far in in the roster building so there's a lot of people who are waiting to find out who they're going to be but for me as a lead into that whole part of it how does an organization that's based in sydney look at imports and 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 this huge pool of imports all around the planet and you pick two That, that to me that sounds like an astounding challenge it is a huge challenge because again, when you know, when you look at this, the vast number of players that are around the world, I mean, you're, you know, there's hundreds, thousands to choose from. Uh, not that you have the ability to necessarily get to them all, but you're looking, trying to look under every rock and watch every play, and there's only so many you can look at. So, I think for us, it was again, you, you work with the agents, got relationships with, and they put forward their players and their contacts, and then. 
you kind of go from there. So it's tough because you're not seeing them live. You know, we're relying on synergy and film that we can get access to and different leagues have different levels of competition. So when you're watching them play in a European league, you know, it's either a good league or a bad league. It's hard to get a grasp on how they're actually going to fit in the WNBL. NBL 1 and the New Zealand League can also, I wouldn't say be misleading, but you've obviously seen a lot of players go and play in the off-season and succeed in there, and then they have got a lesser role in the WNBL. So for us, I think it's, it's important to watch as much as we can, but do as much digging as we can, talk to as many ex-players, ex-coaches or teammates that have played alongside them that can give us intel, and then involving our medical team in it as well. So we've got a lot of input from them in terms of making sure that they're the right player, but without us getting our hands on them and seeing them and getting them in to see our physios and our medical team, it's tough doing from afar. Okay, so with the imports, where have you gone to get the imports for the Flames for this year? And I'll, I'll preface this by saying we recently did a free agency and we had Sammy Mack who came on and he was really hoping and pushing for, you know, a couple of uh, Aces players to come across with Kayla. <laughs> yeah, he wanted Chelsea Gray and Asia, and Asia Wilson. Asia Wilson. Just, you know, not a not an easy order. No, not an easy order as well. <laughs> the highest order that you could. Yeah. that you could ask for. To be perfectly honest, we would love a lot of Aces players to have come. And, you know, when I talk about input from Kayla and Tess, Kayla's been amazing in that. She's been pushing as many people as she can. And that's where it's challenging is the landscape in the WNBA is, is changing where you're seeing a lot of players and a lot of teams in the WNBA putting restrictions on players or incentivizing them not to play overseas, whether it's Europe or Australia. You're seeing a lot of players not return, whether it's financial expectations or otherwise. Getting a WNBA player feels like is becoming more and more challenging year after year. Yeah, that they've also introduced. Uh, you've got to be back by a certain date to, exactly. or, or else the team, the team or the player gets penalised. Yes. Yeah. Financial player gets penalised. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why I think that usually plays into more the European contracts. But at the same time, now teams are going further than that to say, how can we incentivize you not to go play and to be around the team? Which again is quite challenging. Okay, so very restrictive. Like Gabby Williams this season was probably the standout. They got caught up in that situation where she went from one league, then she came to the World Cup, then she went back to Euro and played a longer season than expected. So Mr the first chunk of WNBA and then she needed a break so she missed more and I think that was one of the many examples that inspired this new rule which I think I mean if you're not even going to put your players in business class on domestic flights do you really have the balls to say hey actually don't go and play in Europe where you can improve your game and then bring it back to our league and also set yourself up financially for your future yeah it is it is restrictive and it's but you know again i think that only emphasizes the importance of local talent you again continuity but building and finding local talent that is here year after year so you mentioned new zealand and we've got an import coming from new zealand to the flames we do we do Paige bradley yes all right yes so an import point guard very good, because I was like, the two main parts that you need is a true point guard, because yes, Tess can play point, yes, Loz can play point, but definitely more effective in a two-spot shooting guard. So definitely. 
true point and true center is what I'm expecting from for imports. But what was it about Paige Bradley that made you guys commit that that's going to be the PG for you? I think it's, you know, when we looked at complementary pieces, because we've got some star-studded names on our roster and finding someone who is, when you say a true point guard, it's it's spot on. They're just into it. Someone who can come in and run the offense. But it's a good team. I think being a facilitator is important. Again, when you look at making sure that Tess and Kayla and Loz and Shanice, they're getting going, I think that's really important. So what we're excited about us about Paige is she's, she understands the game. She's played a number of years but also played in a role that – you know, she's a facilitator, so her assist-to-turnover ratio is elite. And how she was playing in the New Zealand League is she was just running things. Uh, she was scoring, but she was running things for her play. She's great out of the pick-and-roll, which I think is going to be vital with Kayla and how Kayla can, can pop and find her spots. But she's a willing defender as well. I think that's really important in terms of how we want to play this year is and get after it. But... For us in, in going after someone like Paige, it was important to find someone that was kind of like a glue to the other pieces and making sure she could help facilitate, you know, all other plays and make sure they get going as well. So true point guard was definitely on our list. And yeah, it, it was really tough shoes to fill having Tiana that was coming into that role this year and being that person. So, you know, that's a really tough one to go and have to replace. Yeah, because as, as much as Tiana is a scorer in her own right, you were 100% correct. You are loaded with scorers running the lanes or, like you said, Kayla and the pick and pop, the pick and roll. So having someone like Paige Bradley to do just that and facilitate like Tiana certainly can. Like Tiana's passing precision last season was outrageous. Yes. <laughs> and it got better as the season continued yeah. as well. So I think that sounds like a great signing to fill that gap of someone being focused on getting everyone organized and getting the ball in the right hands when you need to. And I think in return, the players like Tess and Kayla are going to respond really, really well to someone like that. who's going to be very disciplined in their role to get them the shots that they want. Now, uh, this morning, because we're dropping this episode at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, you announced the second import. Is Dee Dee Richards, and I'm sorry to interrupt. It's not an import five. Um, oh, it's Dee Richards. But it's Dee Dee Richards. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my God. People are going to lose their minds. That's so good. Yes. No, she got dropped as well from New York Liberty this season. She did. She did, which was surprising. Redemption. And I think that's, again, what was really helped was some of the feedback we got from the people at the Liberty and Sound is, well, like, unbelievable teammate. Unbelievable teammate. Like, beloved by staff, by players, by everyone. And honestly, when we talk to her, it's just this infectious personality. Like, just... You know, I kind of came away from it just smiling. She was just really engaging, asked great questions, was really excited about the prospect of Australia. And, you know, then when you look at her as a player and where she, you know, her ceiling I think is really high. She kind of fits that mould of players that we want to bring in that have a really high ceiling and hopefully we're the program that helps them get to that. I think we've succeeded on that on the King side guys coming in like Jay Sean Tate and whatnot that have then made that leap, you know, Xavier Cooks. I think Dee Dee's one that is, you know, she just got cut from the WNBA after two years with the Liberty and has battled some some injuries along the way. 
And that's why she's coming down here. She's coming down here because it's a program that hopefully is going to help springboard her back into the WNBA because I truly think if she has a year where she's healthy and plays how we expect her to play, she's going to make that jump. And for me, to be perfectly honest, it's like I positional fit, I think you make it work. She can guard one through four, one, you know, and she's an undersized four that we can play in different positions. She's a point forward. She can handle the ball. She can rebound. She's a gritty defender and a willing defender. Like I think she's an exciting one that when you kind of slot her into the lineup, she can play in with a lot of different lineups. She can play the two, the three, the four. I think when you're you're partnering her with the other players that we have, again, it's a really exciting prospect. So, yeah, we're, we're thrilled about Dee. Oh, that's so good. And I think, like, uh, what I like about her as well is what you touched on is her personality. I really like, I, I don't know, it's just me, uh, I kind of like players who kind of show part of their personality on and off court in social media content. They're able to, yeah, just show that different side of them and that human side of them. That's what the kind of players I like. And, I mean, obviously, like, how they perform on court too and what type of game they have. But I really like her in that sense that, like, it seems like she has a great personality. I can imagine that court is just frothing at the possibilities of social media content you're going to have now between Dee Dee and Kayla. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Dee Dee alone has more followers than I want to say all of the WNBL teams and all the, you know, a lot of WNBL players. She, it's, 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 you know, I looked at that and I was shocked. It's the biggest social following, I think, of any player that we've ever had in Hoops Capital alone. The, the prospect of her and, and being able to help her be part of our brand and that, like she's she's such a, a fun-loving person that then be able to express themselves and want to come here and be part of our journey as well. I think it's really exciting for us. And, yeah, we want to help her as a, as a basketball player, but also on a, you know, she was really excited about the life experience that Sydney could bring as well. Oh, yeah, why not? Uh, come down for an Australian summer. That's got to be one of the top selling points for imports. Come down and play in an Australian summer, have the opportunity to travel a little bit, got the best beaches in the world. Uh, and, I mean, Sydney is Sydney. As you'd, be, you'd be surprised a lot of them forget the difference. And, you know, when we say, hey, we play in the middle of summer, and they just they pause. Oh, you, no, you're right. I said, well, how would you like to play 21 games in the middle of summer, you know, four games, double headers in front of big crowds at 18,000 seats at Kudos Bank Arena and at Key Centre. And the summer definitely helps to when we're recruiting someone like Dee, Dee as well. And Sydney, she does. She told me she did some research. Like, yeah, I think I can, I think I can make that work. Oh, yeah. Uh, even speaking to some imports who played NBL1, they were just really impressed by the different culture and diversity of food they can get in Sydney and not really realising that Australia's become this cultural melting pot, giving our location and our history with different ways of immigration for different reasons. The whole like, this is the best part. It's just we get to eat out every night, something different. But then for Didi, you get to do your recovery in like Bondi Beach. Like you're going to the beach is your recovery. Get in the water. Exactly. And I said, Didi, it's like it's not New York in the winter. You know, we're not we're not shoveling snow when you walk out, you know, walk outside. You're going down, it's it's a crisp I try to always frame it in in Fahrenheit to us. It's you know, it's a crisp ninety five degree day. 
and you get to go down to the beach and and recover down in Bondi. So no, we're thrilled, and now it's it's focusing on our DPS as well, and which training plays we want to bring in, and we really want to load up with the talent that we have that's complementing those players because injuries come. So for us now, it's okay. What other pieces can we bring in to make sure that we're loaded up and now? coaching stuff that have the true set of resources to be able to go chase something pretty special this year. Yeah, and with DPs, do you prioritise staying local as well to fill those spots? And I imagine that would be tricky because you've got players graduating from juniors or something like COE ready for their college career, but they can only play as a DP in the WNBL for a period of time to make sure they qualify for college. Is that right? Yeah, there's ways you can get around that, which we, you know, we managed last year um, with the Flames is having them as an amateur player. So you can essentially play as an unpaid DP, what's called an amateur player, and that keeps your NCAA eligibility. There's always part of you that wants to see these players go chase a college career, and that's you never want to peel them away and rec- you know out recruit them from going to go get an education. But if that's their choice that they want to become pro, then great, we'll be there as possibility. But for those players that are going to college in August of next year, it's okay, you know, if you're not doing anything, why wouldn't you want to come and continue to develop your game in a pro program? You can be an amateur player and then you can still keep your NCAA eligibility. So take a break from study as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Come play alongside some Opals players, get better. And in the meantime, I think it helps. And honestly, for those players that also don't have college offers as well, they use that as a way to get colleges to notice them if they're playing as part of a program. Whereas the other DPs, you're right, is trying to find local players that are remaining in Sydney that makes it easy and much more accessible. But it's challenging. Um, it's challenging for that level of salary for de- development player to be able to manage a workload that is for a basketball career. It's interesting you, you talk about the DPs and the workload and the amateur. Again, I think for some of our listeners who aren't maybe as much across the details of that, how many DPs and amateurs can you have on the roster? It varies based on DPs, there's a limit, but then amateur players, there's the ability to sign more. But I think it's important as well, training players is something that we want to take a next step at this year as well because whether they're too old to be a DP or they've been a pro player prior and so they can't be a DP, I think that's important because, again, injuries happen and having enough capable players that have been around the league that aren't coming in and having to learn the offense of the defense middle way through the season is a challenge. So, you know, for us, I think also it's making sure that we've got capable bodies not just DPs, so training players that might be WNBL worthy that maybe haven't had a shot, that they're ready and prepared. And, gosh, you touch wood that you don't have injuries. Like, you know, we've we've experienced a ton in the last couple of years. And if you can get through a season relatively healthy, but these things just happen. So you've got to be prepared that you need an extra three, four or five bodies. So last year we, for example, we had four amateur players. And so I think that's probably the roundabout number that we'd be chasing this year in terms of a split between DPs and amateurs, and then hopefully we can complement some more training players. Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier Tiana, and you mentioned that she's going to be around the team. Now, obviously, you know, all the WNBL fans have heard heard the news. How's the club going to keep 
Tatiana around the, the organisation and how are you seeing her fitting in over the season? So Tiana is remaining part of the club. She's actually coming on this year as an assistant coach. Um, when I talk about good humans, it's like it's she's a remarkable, a remarkable person, character, and just is you know, yeah, has been through a lot in her life, and for her to have those challenges clear their head again and go through what she's going through right now. It's really tough to see someone that I think Sydney fell in love with mm. and the whole organisation just really, you know, really embraced and want her around. I said to her partway through the season last year is we want to make sure that you're here long term and we see you in as part of this club, you know, long into the future. And then when she has to retire from pro basketball and it's just this heart-wrenching story and to see her going through what she's and she's in such good spirits like she's just such an amazing human being we just want her around the club to the extent she wants to be so she's coming on as assistant coach and that was her desire to want to be around our ownership group i think it's really important to know it's like they would look after and make sure that she's happy healthy and stable and she wants to be part of this club and so we're going to, you know, honour her playing contract and, and have her back and she wants to come back and learn the coaching side. She wants to be around basketball. I think it's going to be a challenge for her to go from that player to coach but to see someone who's just wants to dive in head first into this side of the game, I, I can't say I'd be strong enough to be able to do that myself, I, you know, and so, you know, she's already moved back to Sydney but in a couple of months from being diagnosed, she's here working she wants to be a coach so it's been an open invitation to her that she just she jumped at so i'm really excited to have her be around the club daily and be around the players and everyone's just thrilled that she's involved top down and she's just a wonderful yeah wonderful human being that we're just we're really privileged to be able to have her remain around the club and want to be here and is a really special person i think a lot of people in sydney yeah i mean yeah you go on, Jacinta. It's going to say it can just be a double-edged sword for someone in that situation where you want to stay involved, especially because since she was at Asia Cup last year in Jordan, her game has grown so much and she was hitting the peak to the point where I'm like, she's going to make the Paris team the way she's playing for sure. Yep. But it is that double-edged sword when you're faced with that situation where you don't have a choice in your own retirement. Do you still want to stay involved in the game in some way and involved in that community and be surrounded by those people in some way? Or is that too much of a reflection of I miss playing and that's the kind of sense of loss in that way? Yeah. So it's really admirable that she's taken on a coach's role to stay involved in the game but in a different way. Uh, Not entirely her choice but she's taken on the, the next best option for her and she'll still be surrounded by the club and the team a lot of those team members who had her back when it all kind of happened as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and she's got great friends, you know, a best friend, you know, Vanessa Panousis on the team and just a really good safety net of good human beings. And so when I talk about character and in, in being a big part of the players that you go after and recruit, it's like, I can't speak highly enough of her and Vanessa and Kira and Emma and the players that were there last year around her. And then the new players were bringing in. So, yeah, it's a special group I think we've been able to pull together this year and I think, you know, Tiana's an extension of that and I'm just I'm thrilled that she's honoured to stay around the club and be part of what we're building. So, 
yeah, really excited about her and her growth and seeing her in this new space. And I've got to say, I think from my personal perspective, seeing the team getting around her like that is just such um, just such a great thing. She's staying involved, the club's supporting her. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of WNBL fans, regardless of team that they support, who are going to be saying, this really is what we want to be seeing from the WNBL community. Definitely. And I think a lot of that goes, I think, to our ownership group too, in there wasn't second thought in terms of making sure we're supporting her and being in position to have her involved to the extent she wants to and was able to. Just an open invitation is to say, we'll support you either way, but this is here. And I think, yeah, a lot can be said, I think, for our ownership group that hopefully that's a way that we can see WNBL and MBL and pro sport in general, particularly for women, is supporting players that are going through some of these challenges, you know, supporting them long term, I think is really important. Yeah. I think this is a side of the of the WNBL that we don't see enough of. We know it's there, but it's not, you know, kind of on display to the fans as we'd like it to be. So yeah. I think this is a it's a really important it's an important thing for the league overall for the team to be doing this. No, it is. Thank you for saying that, Paul. And I think a lot of teams, um, I'm sure, would do the same thing. Honestly, for someone as as important as as is to us, so. Yeah, I'm hoping this sets a precedent for everyone to, to do something similar. Again, God forbid someone has to go through something as challenging as this, so I hope you never have to see it again. But, yeah, it's great to see that the entire basketball community and sport community in Australia and abroad really get behind us. It's quite impressive to see even just the, the fundraising pages and how much people committed to helping support her was just, you know, just really beautiful to see. Okay, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been great getting a, a picture into how the whole recruitment process takes place. And I know we've kind of gone a little bit off topic, but I think it's all related to how you build a team. And as we've seen with a lot of organisations, a team isn't just your playing career. You know, it's part of belonging to a team over a greater period of time. And I think, you know, what we're hearing is that that's one of the goals that the Sydney Flames are trying to achieve and, and Hoops Capital. And it's going to be great to see how all of this develops over the next few years. It is. It is. And honestly, you know, I think I'm just a very small piece of the puzzle in terms of building something. There's a lot of people involved from ownership down. But, you know, you look to try to build a roster with input from everyone. Um, I think it's important is to build a roster as well that's in the coach's vision, that it's not just one person's desired roster. It's something that is has input from everyone, from ownership, coaching staff, down to the medical team that have an investment in seeing this succeed, but also to give input into their areas of specialty, I think is really important. And if I can be a conduit to help kind of connect all of them, great. There's a lot of work that goes into it from a lot of different people. And I'm just, I think, a vessel in, in trying to bring all of that together. Chris, again, thanks so much for your time. It's always great talking to you and it's always great getting insights into these parts of a WNBL team that a lot of fans don't always get to see. I'm glad there's some excitement around it. Some, some people would find some of this boring and, and very methodical and operational, but no, it's it's great to see the support that, you know, both you and Jacinta give to this league. Mate, anytime you want me on here, I'd be thrilled to come on. 
Um, I love what you both do and the platform that you help put a lot of these players on in, in the WNBL. So uh, really excited for the season. Thanks for having me on. And hopefully we can talk again throughout. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.